the theme for the afternoon talk is the the sound of God. When we uh, engage in our meditation practices and explorations, the practices clearly have the intention to give genuine and authentic support to our immediate uh, experiences. And the development and the cultivation of these practices contribute to clarity, empathy for others, the potential for significant and beneficial uh, change, and an authentic sense as well of our well-being in this world that we engage in and participate in. And it could be conceived that in the process <coughs> pardon me, of this uh, practice it is primarily for our welfare it certainly can and does contribute to it but we need to be mindful <coughs> of our relationship to our, to our being not to exaggerate its place and to remember there is much more which is significant deep and profound, which we can listen to, which we can be uh, receptive uh, to. Over the days that we've been here uh, together, there has been and continues to be, of course, some recognition and the presentation of that which comes to us. In this case, taking an authentic interest in the breath, in the experiences of the body, in the the feeling world, in the general overall state of mind and in a certain expansive awareness which has a a, uh, space or spacious element to it. All of which is beneficial, has the real potential for insight. We're never, because it doesn't exist, looking for any kind of perfection of the being uh, there. But it might be valuable and important for us to give consideration to the being's relationship to a much larger dimension. This I want to uh, uh, touch upon, and particularly the relevance of this to listening. And when we uh, listen, both outwardly and uh, inwardly, The initial response in the human world, of course, is the communication of words which travel through the space there. We have the uh, opportunity to uh, uh, listen to the voice and the voices of others. Those words travelling through are not separated from the feelings, the tones and the attitudes and the content which comes to us. So as human beings, the world of sound, in this case listening to words as one expression of it, really has some significance and importance uh, uh, for us. And we know, and we know very well, that the world of sound can really have an impact on us, both in a supportive and beneficial way, and sometimes in a rather harmful, if not destructive way. So we give to all the senses mindfulness and application 
But in this talk, I really want to focus on the importance of listening and listening beyond the norm. And I'll come to that, if I may, in a moment or two. With the listening, there, the, um, in the action of uh, the listening, always without exception, the most effective and beneficial way for that is in the real world of the substantial communication between two humans, or at the moment one human sharing uh, with, a, uh, with a group. And in that kind of listening which is, ta uh, which is taking place there, it is not in order to adopt an ideology, it is not in order to take a fresh identity, Buddhist or uh, other, uh, otherwise, the process of the, of the listening is that the voice carrying from one speaker to the ears of the listener, that it might be, it may be, in the act of the listening, something responds and touches the deep and there is some significance to it. There is, in the process of this uh, uh, listening itself, a certain trust. There's a trust in one's capacity to listen and be touched, there is also an equally uh, a certain trust in the speaker to share her or his voice in the communication. So in the discernment of the human being, which is a really important and precious capacity, we need, <coughs> pardon me, in, <coughs> in the rhythms of our daily life, I'll touch upon rhythms in a moment or two, <coughs> in the rhythms of our daily life, to really take notice of uh, the value of listening and the capacity for it to touch us very well and deeply. And that simply means what is worth listening to. We have secondary supports for this as, as well. And it's fairly recent in so far as the immediate access uh, to uh, that which is uh, in the cloud, on uh, uh, YouTube and so forth also a valuable resource. It is a substitute for the lack of access to us as people, but in the actual listening which is taking place itself, there is the potential, in the audible listening, in the visual listening, with receptivity, as something to touch us. And our listening to the inner voice is the willingness to be able to listen, not in order to accumulate information, not in order to know something more about a topic, useful as that uh, may be, but the receptivity is to have a certain kind of space in the being in which the listening itself, something resonates, it's visceral, something touches us uh, there. And that moment or moments uh, in the listening is those uh, moments which have the potential, when recognised and acknowledged, to really make some shifts in our life. We listen for insight. We do not listen for information. We listen for inspiration. We listen to touch love. We listen to deepen our understanding. We listen to find out and inquire. And therefore, it is an understanding between the speaker and uh, the listener, whoever the speaker might be, that there is a communication, there is a transmission which is taking place between the speaker and the listener with the intentionality and the receptivity for something to touch the deep. That's what these teachings are uh, about. It has been said 
2,000, 3,000 years ago in the uh, traditions of uh, uh, the ancient uh, cultures of, uh, of the East of the incredible importance of the power of listening. And there are a number of modes to this. At the time of uh, the, the Buddha, the, who advocated the, significantly the importance of listening, and in that, two examples of this. One is that those who loved his teachings, who loved to lend an ear on his teachings, were called the Shravakas, the ones who listen. So it would be spoken of in the spiritual religious culture of, of the time that those who love the Buddha Dharma there, uh, these are the Shravakas, these are the ones who love to listen. And it has taken place, and it continues to uh, take place uh, there, that human being, most transformations in life have occurred in the act of the listening. That the voice itself not the voice of the self, but the voice itself there, in its sharing or communication, a talk, an inquiry, an interview, uh, some question and answers, the talk or whatever, that things get clearer for us in the listening mode in which the two ears are regarded as the temple of the body. That is how much they are appreciated in these teachings. The ears are regarded as the temple. They are the open doorway to something which is uh, re really deep. It can be, and it's part of the aspect of the teaching uh, as well, that in the mode of the listening which takes place, sometimes, humanly enough, we may not understand. Sometimes what we listen to, in the, from the deep especially, as it were, passes over our head. Sometimes it only touches us at the brain level, meaning at an intellectual, mental level. Yeah. Sometimes there is a sense, I listen, I don't understand, I'm not quite sure what this woman or this man is uh, uh, saying at this time, and there is a certain trust. Sometimes there is a feeling response which takes place, on um, whatever the, the theme uh, may be. We want to be able to listen. It may be over the head. It may be touching the, touching the mind at a cerebral uh, level. It may be touching the heart. Maybe, and all being well, it will go deeper than the heart, as much as we love it and appreciate the heart. So this receptivity is getting to know ourselves through the process of the listening. And as I mentioned, sometimes something just touches the spot. There is a response, there's some clarity uh, about it, and most human transformations have occurred through the listening. It can be that in the manner of the listening there, we may have a sense there may be something valuable in this. There may be something which is supportive and helpful for the liberation of one's existence there. So then we make the shift and that uh, shift is in two ways. One shift is to actually reflect on what was listened to, to recognize and acknowledge, is there something which I listened to which is of value? So once again, to repeat, it is not in order to adopt an ideology, that means a series of ideas, but to see or listen in such a way is something valid, useful. 
one may only have a small sense of that. So then, what comes with the teachings comes the practices. The practices are in fact an extension of the teachings. They are a shift in the human relationship to the teacher and the teachings, we might say, giving greater responsibility to the person to reflect, to meditate, to be mindful and once again to see what have I listened to, what am I practicing which is helping to free up, to bring clarity, to expand the heart, to open up from the contractions of life. And when we take the day, our days that we've uh, had uh, here uh, together and of course on the last uh, full day here, that it can be in the um, um, process or the uh, activity uh, of the listening that um, receptivity that we give to get the priorities right. That means though the teachers certainly have a certain authority, there's a certain sharing of experience, and we might say in a single day it might take up th- it might take up three hours. That means from 9.30 to 10.30 in the morning, from, let's say, 3.45 to 4.45 in the afternoon, and let's say from 7.30 to 8.30. So there's three hours a day of teachings and practices of the spoken, and probably on average every other day, maybe a 10 minutes or so, one-to-one. What that essentially means is 21 hours is given to the silence for the meditator to contemplate to meditate on these things, reflect on these things, and see what is valid. That's the priority. <coughs> Let me have a sip of the beloved water. But it goes further than, further than that. So we could, we could, we should, make some uh, reflection uh, here on really a quiet commitment to the world of sound initially the world of sound as I just spoke to you a moment or two ago particularly through teachings and I do not have in mind just the the Buddha's Dharma it is only one Dharma on this earth there are many marvellous and precious Dharmas and some of us have the privilege of uh, giving priority to to this particular Dharma. And in the exploration of uh, the Dharma, or the Dharmas more uh, uh, pre- precisely, it might well mean, in, in the contemporary spirit of renunciation, which is indispensable for liberation, one is going to be asking oneself, what listening do I not need to do in order to have the space for the listening I need to do? And that needs to be an ongoing question. If I, if I want to understand teachings deeply, I need the silence, I need the stillnesses, I need the spaciousness, and I need the capacity to let go, to drop, to do without. And the sannyasin, that means the one who renounces, that's the meaning of the word, is not renouncing because it's anti-life. It's actually renouncing because one is truly pro-life, truly supportive of life, truly wishes to connect with it deeply and we do need, I would say, mostly every 
nourishment and response and practices and, and, and teachings to keep us alive, to keep us as conscious human beings. And therefore, one is saying, I'm going to drop a lot of this external, unnecessary, unhelpful uh, uh, listening. This would give me more opportunity with the silences and the stillnesses. And out of that there, that receptivity will uh, uh, deepen. And though you and I in the daily life certainly have to uh, have uh, lots of, uh, what should we call them, politely lightweight conversations. I could think of a few other descriptions, but I'm trying to be polite. So, uh, with uh, certain things. But then it might challenge us and, and test us in a rather quiet and humble way. Could we just switch the level of that conversation? Just make it a little bit deeper. Could we just ask her or him a question or two and just shift the direction there and not to be shy of that? So that something important and therefore deep for us may veer the mode of questioning rather than telling, invite something precious out of the other and a really lovely exchange can take place. And the practitioners and the, the, the sangha, the, the, the men and women of uh, meditators in this area do have more responsibility. It goes with this practice. Yet that means the ability to respond to others who, where we may be able to share a voice because we found some common depth which is uh, uh, that, that much deeper. But the exploration of the word, uh, which is uh, formative, when it's, <coughs> one would see, to take an example here, uh, uh, different ways, and just two traditions, two one-liners for you for a moment. Um, one is um, in the Christian uh, tradition, in the first line of uh, St. John's Gospel, uh, the word is with God. The word is God. It's a very powerful uh, uh, statement. One has it um, exactly the same in terms of uh, the uh, uh, Indian yoga, Hindu tradition of Brahmanada. It's the same, the sound of God. I'm speaking to that. In, in other words, it's extraordinary in the capacity of human beings both in what is received and what emerges, that there are times when we are listening, still with the voices here, listening to the other, whoever uh, that may be, and we're kind of surprised and grateful for what we have listened to, and it resonates with us, and in the act of listening, we have the sense that this person, whoever she or he may be, is really speaking to me, is really listening to me. And it's one of the deep things. It's a sad thing when we say sometimes reactively to another, you're not listening to me. And sometimes we're not, because there are other preformed reactive views which are arising which are in inhibiting an authentic, real communication uh, there. And if somebody says that to us, you're not listening to me, we, we need to take that very, very seriously, not to dismiss it there, but to really check in very carefully and deeply. Is it true? Am I just reactive? Am I just uh, closing up? 
in, inside of myself. With the movement of the uh, uh, listening, with the formation of the words, as I spoke to you, the movement in, inside, and we'll expand out a bit more in a moment, the movement inside is a kind of combination of perception and feeling, and the perception of feeling forms, moves together to generate some kind of concept, concepts there. And the concept can form obviously into a stream of words or language and it moves up through the being, through the human being and it comes up through the throat and it comes out through the mouth. And this movement, this journey is probably one of the most important journeys that a human being can ever experience. This journey of what comes through and comes out uh, there. And it requires from us an immense vigilance to make every single conversation that we can something valuable and precious and learning something from it because we're really interested in the deep and that speaking. And when we, and sometimes that's from the outer to the inner, inner to the outer. But there are times in the meditations and spontaneously as well in all sorts of circumstances where something comes to us. It comes out of the blue. We don't know where it came from, but it's got a, a truth to it. It's got an insight to it. It's, it's a, 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 what some of the religious people call a revelation. God has spoken to us. The, the word of God. And that movement comes out of the depth of the being and one of the things that we can notice in that kind of movement that takes place it has no reference to one's past what I mean by that one has never perhaps thought about this before one hasn't planned anything about this one hasn't um, <coughs> experienced anything this. one has, hasn't touched one uh, uh, in, in, any, in any way and there is some kind of space that takes place and one single movement can transform a human being's life forever and the person will put hand on heart and you can say you know I just don't know where it came from but it just kind of came out and that radical change that moment uh, of being touched, generating incredible new way of life, uh, create uh, a creativity, uh, a depth of compassion, a willingness to take risks, an adventure of life and much more. And it's just come out of the being there. And we, you and I, in a way, we're kind of, as the poets would tell us, innocence abroad. There we are, going through our life, thinking we're in touch with what's happening, quite forgetting that consciousness, with its thought and its feelings and its mood and its ideas, is a tiny little frame of this existence. And we get used to the frame, we get used to uh, that. And we may just have a sense, surely there's got to be more than my small self living in this small frame of consciousness and feeling and thoughts and speech and doing, surely got to be something more. And we don't know what that might be, but we meditate. We don't know what that might be, but we rest in the silence. We don't know what that is, but we sit in the stillness of things there 
and we wait. And we are receptive. And it might well be that out of all of that, in the absence of who am I, which is not the deepest of the questions, but an important one, in the absence of who am I, roles and identities and and, and uh, family and jobs and work and information, in the absence of all of that, it may then allow the voice of God to come through. Meaning, metaphorically, or actually if you trust in the language, of something shifting inside and things changing. Sometimes quietly and gently, which are important, and sometimes uh, dramatically and significantly. That's what we're interested in. <clears throat> in the expansion there, one of the areas where, shall we say, <clears throat> keeping with the uh, language for a moment, God speaks, uh, speaks to us. I rather like this poetic language, you can tell. So, mm-hmm. Not everybody's cup of tea, you can change the language if you like. Uh, there is music. And it's rather ironic in the, uh, in the Buddhist uh, 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 tradition. It has no, no, that's a bit exaggerated, hardly any uh, contact with the music uh, world. It's rather, rather unfortunate, really. And doesn't have a, much of a history uh, of it. The, the, the good neighbours, uh, Hindu tradition and uh, Middle Eastern traditions and others, really have, and Western tradition, have more sense with regard to music as a religious, spiritual uh, uh, aspect. And just for the moment, just here, it would be rather sad, to put it in that way, if our life is kind of confirmed through an endless self-improvement process. Just think, we missed the point. We missed... It, 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 all the best meditations on our so-called uh, self. At the best, it's kindergarten. That's a compliment. And it's really a, a preparation for much, much more. And it would be most unfortunate if, as teachers and as the sangha of the practitioners, if somehow we settled for how I can develop and improve my life and be more harmonious and more integrated and a more adjusted uh, uh, human being uh, there. Of course, we appreciate that in ourselves and in others. It's kindergarten. It's, the, it's, at, it's for the beginning. It's just for the, just for the preparation. It's the early stages of, uh, of, of things. And though we may uh, need, obviously, quite regularly to return uh, to that, but as the Buddha and the sages have reminded us, when there's some, shall we say, level of calm or level of clarity or level of insight, and we're reasonably okay, not too much suffering in life, reasonably okay, we then genuinely can turn our attention to that which is sacred, that which is sp- deeply spiritual, that which is beyond ourself, that which is transcendent to it. Really uh, can, and even those sometimes who are experiencing a lot of suffering in heart, mind, and body also need to remember that which is uh, greater as well. So, as I say, the preparation is valid, it's really important for something which is infinitely bigger, 
infinitely more significant than uh, the, the small modest life that you and I are, are engaged in. With that, while, as mentioned a few moments ago, the world of words is important uh, to us, but also to understand that the creatures too, obviously, have their languages as well. And they communicate, they have their voice uh, as well. We may have more diversity of the voice. And as one uh, friend, organic farmer with the chickens, said to me that the hen, as he sits there in the garden in the free range with his uh, chickens uh, and the hen, has around 11 different messages to the chickens, such as, follow me, there is some food over here, follow me. I need a break, get away. <laughs> uh, or whatever. There is, <laughs> mothers will know this one well. There's danger there. Let's go back into the shelter, into the hut or place or whatever. And, and various other voices. If we really listen to the creatures, we recognise that there, there's also communication and sometime in the sound, the cicadi as an example, symphony of sounds which are going on. And so in the nature, we experience sound which touches us, the, 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 the song of the bird. And sometimes, as we know, then when we look at this uh, world, the vulnerability of the small birds. And there in the, in the sky... Uh, there can be the large birds, the, the, the hawks and the buzzards, hunting for the small birds. And then down on the ground, if it's in the home area, of course, you know, there can be the cats around. And in the, in the forest, uh, uh, of course, uh, these, the creatures uh, can be hunted in their nests and on the ground. And despite all the risks from the sky and all the risks on the ground, these birds do not stop singing. And so there's these extraordinary creatures of life, living, living their life with all the vulnerabilities that go with it, but the voice comes. Something is being said. Something is singing. It's singing to us. It's singing to the forest. It's singing uh, to those who are creatures who are near, uh, near, nearby. The, the, the voices, world of the voice, the world of the sound, even without the words, is extraordinarily precious. And a little bit of the preciousness of it, and in music, it's deeply significant, that in the preciousness of it, there is some sense that there is a kind of harmony in life. There's some kind of rhythm of life. And this extraordinary rhythm of life sometimes is embodied and expressed so beautifully in the sounds which are quietly vibrating. And there is something in a human being when we really listen to sounds which we just love, whether it's the sounds in the rainforest as here, or it's the sounds uh, of, of the musicians. There's something about the music itself, of all the, all the arts, but something about the music itself, which seems not only uplifting, but extraordinarily close to reality. <coughs> that reality, in a way, is a certain rhythm. 
Reality itself is a certain movement of life, a, a flow of life. And in the, in the sounds that, that come there from uh, the variety of quote-unquote voices uh, there, we're, we're in some kind of activity which is unfolding and flowing on. It's a kind of, life is a kind of orchestra of its movement. And sometimes we just wonder at all, all of this. That the vibrations of life, the rhythms of life, the movements of life and the sounds of life, they're just rhythms and, uh, and processes which are unfolding. And sometimes what the scientists say, sometimes us as human beings, in our stillness, in our silence and in our receptivity to the vibrations of life, we're really close and in, in accordance with. We can know from experience, whatever the scientist tells us. We can look back uh, with the, the scientists. And it occurred to me uh, a while ago, as we know, they have spoken, they, they, they tell us uh, the, uh, the current view, to be respected obviously, that 13.7 billion years ago, there was the Big Bang. And it was a, an incredible heating up of the world of matter and fire to such an extraordinary degree that there was this huge explosion uh, which take place and then gradually cooled down and gradually here we are. And that immensity of that, if you, you know, see that as the metaphor and the, uh, uh, as the view, in a way, bang! It's a sound. And the rhythms of it keep flowing on through. And even in the subtle and the larger things, sound keeps coming in. It's extraordinary the way that it does. Sometimes when we're breathing in, not always to the pleasure of the others, we can hear the sound of the breath coming in, uh, etc. We may be sitting and moving and then we just hear the sound emerging out of that. that um, somebody gives us a, a hug or a, a kiss uh, on the cheek or whatever, and the sound emerges that. In a way, it's the kind of the ripples of life. It's the big bang. A kiss is a big bang, for some a very big bang. <laughs> and, and it just r rhythms and flows through, through life. And there's something remarkable about being in all of this and as I mentioned sound is a, in human life I think genuinely has a really precious significance really a precious thing to, to listen to uh, the sounds there and a certain upliftment of the spirit can accompany this and what I mean by that quite often we are a bit bogged down in things. So we lose the sense of the rhythms, the echoes, the movements of life, the, the, the flows of, uh, of life, the vibrations of life. We lose, sense of, we lose sense of that. Even though spiritual practices, deep religious understanding, um, scientific viewpoint, keep reminding, hey, this is how it is. There is no such thing as something solid just is not the case. In our own meditation experiences, 
just realize how unsolid the body is. It is vibrations, it is sensations, it is sound, it is rhythms. Uh, sometimes, of course, you know, severely disturbed with a sickness or with an accident or a trauma or whatever. But these rhythms and sounds and sensations do keep flowing on. They are part of life. And it's a pity we forget the natural, everyday truth of this. And instead, we forget that and we get into things. And there are no things. It's not true. But we've been sold the thing's viewpoint because it sells. And you can't buy that which is precious and sacred and profound. And we need to get this idea of things into a perspective that whatever you and I give attention to, it's taken this entire earth for it to happen. Whatever thing that you and I look at, it's taken not only this earth, it's taken the, the whole ecology system, it's taken the whole universe to help make one thing happen. It can't happen by itself because it's not a thing. And somehow or other, in the tragedy of human existence, we have forgotten the truth which the scientists and the, and, and the meditators and the spiritual practices and deep religious thinkers and the, uh, keep reminding us, and we've got to remember this. There are no things. And therefore there is no thing worth holding on to, no thing worth clinging on to. And just see it's, in, it's in part of the rhythms and the flows and the dynamics and the vibrations of life. And it, expressing through that way to get this quite clear with ourselves <coughs> in the exploration coming to the, the uh, um, music uh, uh, here and we can be in, in environments and situations where there, where there is uh, music. And some of us have a great love of music. And for the most part, the, the, the live presentation with uh, uh, music can often touch us. And in that, particularly music which is not for the self-importance of the musician, it's not because she or he wishes to inflate their ego and become that. It's the musicians who just are just sharing this different feeling, tone of those musicians who are just sharing and offering. It's reflected in their music but in also in their life as, uh, as well. It's not an ego trip. And in that listening to uh, such uh, musicians, the musicians, there's particularly if you've been very close with the musicians, there might be an orchestra or a band or whatever, very, very uh, close uh, with them. The vibration of the sound in the, in the listening, just really listen. It, the sound, it's a rhythm. Of course it's a rhythm. What else could it be? And though east and west, north and south, Africa and Asia and the west has lots of different uh, rhythms, and the only way that the rhythms can occur in the sound, is because it's supported with the emptiness. It's the emptiness of 
there which enables the note to manifest which is linked up to the next note and linked up to the next note uh, so the emptiness makes it possible as it does with everything and in that rhythm and flow we, the human spirit the consciousness is lifted out this is the power of the music out of the world of things and in to the world of sound into the world of vibrations and notes and movement and interaction and coordination in sometimes in extraordinary ways and it lifts us up it lifts us out of things and in that upliftment that can come th- via our via our ears we are in spiritual language in dharma language in the realm of the gods We've actually come out of our ordinary humanness with our ordinary day-to-day life and our you know, preoccupation with thingness. We're, the consciousness is lifted out into the realm of the gods and it's called and referred to appropriately as the realm of the, of the gods because the, the musicians are expressing, in the very best sense, the sound of God. And we know it because we are so uplifted and is it any wonder when music is precious and something touches us deeply all that we can do is engage collectively in the big bang (laughs) stamp our feet the big bang wants to confirm wow this has touched deeply and that resonance in this case with uh, 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 music Sometimes, in the depth of all of this, the divine uh, element of that, uh, that means being uh, close to God, close to the, the vastness of things, and in the um, uh, Hindu uh, word, uh, in the Sanskrit, the word Brahma, which is, means exactly the same as uh, uh, God in the uh, Eng- English language, it, it, what it means is that which knows no measurement that which has no measurement therefore it has no limit to it and because that which has no limit to it which is vast, has no limit gives opportunity for infinite expressions of God infinite ways that we can be touched infinite ways our heart can open infinite ways that we can discover fresh insights and fresh creativity and new expressions of love because we're living in an infinite realm and that receptivity allows extraordinary things to come out of a human being and there are infinite number of them it has to be because it's infinite you can't have an, in, an infinity there without infinite expressions of it and so many things so called you know, keep confirming it. Everything, in a way, confirms what is infinite. Everything. There's no separation. The transcendent is not up there. It's immediate. It's very, very close. And as I said, when the world of things has a quieter place, just an everyday place, a functional place, um, not so important place, we just get on with the things, so to speak, leaves us more opportunity for the silence more opportunity for the stillnesses.
and those. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, of course, we engage, we have to uh, act, and as one good person here uh, said, frogs sit, and sometimes they croak. Exactly. Teachers sit, and sometimes we croak. <laughs> Why not? So, the exploration uh, there is to understand, since the sound is travelling through the silence, because otherwise how could it reach us? If it, since it is just tra- right now travelling through the silence, what it means, when the ancients and the mystics have said, not only the sound of God, but has turned it round the other way, and said, God is sound. That they're, they're inseparable. And in the same way, we listen to the voice of the other, and the silence and the sound essentially is the same event. They couldn't be one without the other. So, we, as a in conclusion here, so we give our attention to the whole being. We see, all the senses are precious, of course they are, but perhaps take an interest in the listening, uh, the temple of the being, the receptivity of the being there. We look at our life and see what adjustments we can make in terms of listening to that which really matters uh, to us. Much as possible in the real world or in the, in the, in the world of the sounds at which, pardon me, which are recorded. And then we find in all of that, hopefully, a sense of something spiritual. For me, spiritual would be when we're not preoccupied with things, something of life gets to be the sense of the spiritual there. And it might be listening to precious music. It might be a, a, a deep talk. It might be the sounds in the, in the nature. It might be in the silence and then asking what is the sound in the silence? What is the sound which doesn't have a, a big bang resonance to it? And sometimes in the silence itself, in the deep silence in the human being, there's a kind of sound. In uh, India, of course, it's, the word that gets used is om. Uh, is to try to communicate something very, very deep in the listening and deep in the being. And even in those times when we're very, very silent and everything is extremely silent all, all around us, uh, there. there's sometimes a very subtle sense of the, the sound of the universe or the sound of God, uh, we might say. And though perhaps nothing may happen in those stillnesses that we experience and in those silences, but there's a receptivity Things are going on in the deep. And in the deep, that which has no history to it, which has no memory nor mind to it, shall we say, something else then emerges which inspires and informs our our life. And so the silence and the movements uh, take place. And with all of that, I think these, the expressions of this um, may show uh, itself and small encouragement here of course is that there are in the world that we live in a connection and a love 
for that which I would refer to as sacred and spiritual to really keep um, a curiosity uh, and an interest uh, alive it, it's not always easy to explain to oneself or to uh, another but there are some situations, environments, buildings, places which there's something, the sense of something sacred, something precious about it. And we might just take Sang Surya as an example. With all the immensity of love and work that all those who have worked here are working here and those uh, to come. And all that's been done in the mindful, careful uh, management of the place. And people will say to me, they say to me, I did a retreat, a retreat at Sang Surya, and I uh, went at home, got on with my day-to-day life. And sometimes, of course, being away and doing my day-to-day life thing is, is difficult. And sometimes I just remember, well, there are people at Sang Surya, and right now they're doing their practice. Right now they're sitting in the silence. Right now they're sitting in the stillness. And, and, and there's something that touches the person. The person kind of feels hard to explain to them. So they feel supportive. And, and there's a sense that the place is sacred. You know, it has a very special place in the heart that these places are accessible. Sometimes we may have the blessing of... Um, visiting a cathedral, possibly one of these old Gothic cathedrals. Uh, the, the architectures and the village people, centuries ago, the love of the labour, all that uh, uh, took place. And we may not be Christian, we, or whatever. And when we walk in, our voice goes quiet. When we walk in, we don't walk in chatting about things or making a, making a noise. The environment uh, of the temple, the environment of the cathedral or, or the church, whatever. We walk in and then we're quiet and we're silent and we're very, very respectful and we talk in whispers. And because there's centuries of silence, centuries of people walking into these places, just sitting in a pew, just being very quiet, attending to a service, coming in during the day, during their office lunchtime, or whatever. And something respectful comes out of the being. It's a sacred place. And we don't have to be a, a Christian or a Buddhist or a Hindu for these places uh, there. And rather, rather similarly, with regard to the uh, outdoors as well. And some of you are blessed live in or very close to the wilderness, to the rainforests, uh, and have access. And sometimes just to be in these places. And, 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 and sometimes these places are, are loved so dearly, and they're so important, because they're sacred. Not just, I remember 40 years ago, John Seed saying to me, oh, it's you know, they used to call it in the 1970s, 70s, bastard bush. That was what rainforests were addressed at. And there's something sacred. And when something is sacred, we want to support it. We want to campaign. We want to do what, do what we can. We'll hear a voice uh, tomorrow morning for a little while on this. Uh, what we can to protect and support. Because they're sacred places, rainforests, as well as being the lungs of the earth. 
So, and sometimes too at, at, at home there look at our home we also can make it a shrine we also can make it a small ashram and, and, and just be very very respectful and sometimes some of the iconic images as we see in the hall here and uh, elsewhere of course there's something aesthetically beautiful but it can they're small reminders and I think that's where the value is of something sacred with life something precious, something holy with life which we can respond and, uh, and connect to. And I think all of this exploration is, is part of the human experience. Let's have a quiet minute together, shall we? <clears throat> May all beings be receptive to the voice of the deep. May all beings know and experience a profound sense of expansiveness. May all beings be touched with the sacred and the spiritual. 